if you really love him, if he's been everything to you, if he's, if he's made everything wrong, right, if he's, if he's given you a story to tell, hey, right there. Come on, put those hands together. Man, oh man. I knew I was in trouble when both of them came down. I knew he was in trouble then. I knew it. I knew it. Whew. Are y'all ready for the word? Got me all discombobulated. We're going to read John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, if you stand for the reading of the word, I'm going to whisper a word of prayer, and then we're going to watch a video that captures the essence of the theme which we are speaking and teaching on today. Even as you stand, give God an amen for this music ministry. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on up. Mm. See, I learned when, when jets when jets land, you can't just come behind it. You got to give a little room for the power, the exhaust to kind of fade away. You just can't walk into that thing. Amen. So I'm trying to tear it deep just to, just to let it kind of simmer. Amen. Some of y'all may just start running, don't know what's going on. And it's okay to run now. I don't mind running. E.K. Bailey said, I don't care how high up the wall you climb as long as you know why you're climbing. Amen. Do what you need to do to work it out. So we've been in this series, You Only Live Forever. Um, and we've been trying to walk us through how to live a life that really makes a difference. John chapter 2, and we've just been kind of going through the book of John, verse upon verse. John chapter 2 Beginning of verse 1, those that are found to say, I've got it. Help my mind, Lord. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. 
what does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now, draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water, after it had, after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the fine wine first. Then, after people are drunk, the inferior. Some of y'all are giggling. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee. He revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. And they stayed there only a few days. I want to put a tag on this text and preach from the subject, new life. New life. You may be seated with heads bowed, eyes closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pause now to praise you. We pause now to give you glory, praise, and honor for all that we have experienced thus far. Father, you've been good to us. And we're just honored and humbled to be a part of your family, dear Lord. Now, as we examine this passage, Father, I pray that you would grant us uh, focused attention upon your word. Father, may we not be distracted, may we not be hindered, but may we experience you afresh by the revelation of your word. Lord, we love you right now. We glorify you. We bless your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Watch this video. My family loved me a lot, and we were close, and we did not um, really go to church at all. That left me searching um, for meaning and existence. I found a group of friends, and they pretty much had lives that revolved around um, drugs. So I started using um, more illicit drugs on almost a daily basis. My whole life revolved around it, and I ended up in jail a lot. Even while I was incarcerated, I was able to find meth. And I remember um, praying to God, basically saying, like, if, if I don't get caught, I won't, I won't ever do meth again. And that's when Marianne, a woman who um, would come in every Thursday and just faithfully share the gospel, she would walk women through um, these workbooks. She told me about the Bible study that they did on Thursdays, and she told me to come check it out. So I did, and that was the first time I ever heard the gospel. It was a powerful moment, but I won't say, uh, I can't say that everything clicked for me right then. Um, it was definitely a seed planted 
women from her church would write notes like these women didn't know us and I didn't understand like why they would care so much to write a note but it was so encouraging so I fell onto the floor and I gave my life to Christ that night I remember the gospel as I was on the floor that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that kept running through my head as I was on the floor and I was saying, God, I know I sinned a lot and I need you to take it all away from me because I can't handle it anymore. And he did. I finally got my court date. I was sentenced to five years of probation and I started going to um, a recovery program that was Christ-centered and I started really growing in Christ and opening up with other women since the Lord's redeemed my life, the Lord's just opened up ministry with so many people in my life, just opening doors to form relationships with people. I've been able to go back into the prisons and just minister to women there, not only just sharing the love of Christ and sharing the gospel, but also sharing my, my story of, of God's grace in my life. Before Christ, I was lost. I was manipulative. I was hurt. I was searching for something to give me what I thought was significance. And since um, putting my faith in Christ, I have joy and I have hope. I really feel like I've started my eternal life here on earth. Give God some praise for that. Come on, come on. What a powerful testimony. And that testimony captures the essence of our entire series. The young lady said, I feel like I'm experiencing eternal life now. She has experienced the newness of life that is only found through Christ Jesus. And y'all, that is the essence of this series. Uh, the big idea for today's message says this on your sermon note card. The Lord comes to make all things new. Come on, say that with me. The Lord comes to make all things new. Thank you so much, ushers. Thank you so much for what y'all do. As we seek to live our best forever lives, we must emphasize and reemphasize the fact that life begins with Christ. Jesus Christ must be the foundation and the launching pad if you are to experience authentic life and life abundant. Jesus came to bring life, hope, peace, joy. He came to redirect us away from God towards God in the hopes that every person who hears the gospel message that they would respond and receive. So he didn't come to earth die, and to be raised again, watch this, so that we would live ordinary lives. Y'all help me this morning. The Lord Jesus did not endure what he endured so that you would be ordinary. The Lord Jesus didn't suffer the way he suffered so that you would live and look like everybody else. Somebody say ordinary. He died and he did all of this that, that we would live in a different capacity, that we would respond to struggle and suffering, not like those who don't have hope. 
that, that, we would, that we would raise our children in a manner that honors the Lord, not like they do it. That, that we would treat our wives with honor and dignity, not like the world does. See, Jesus came to make all things new. Scripture affirms this by saying, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. Y'all, that's the essence of the miracle in our passage for today. Jesus taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. Jesus taking the simple and making it supernatural. Jesus taking our misery and giving us our destiny. Somebody say new life. Come on, say new life. John chapter 2 opens up on the heels of what we've just dealt with the last two weeks. And we discover that Jesus and his crew make their way to a wedding. It's a wedding. It was a cultural Jewish wedding. It was a wedding. Somebody say a wedding. See, that makes some of us uncomfortable, but you got to understand that Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. And he realizes that there is no conversion without a connection. Y'all missed it. Y'all missed it. There is no conversion where there is no connection. There is no way for the gospel to be heralded if you're not in proximity with those who need the gospel. That's why in that opening video, the young lady made her way to the prison every Thursday with her Bible in hand and, and ministering and sharing because she understood that you got to go where the lost are. So, y'all, we've got all this salt and all this light, but we never go places where our light can be seen. We gather together in church, but we never go places where our light can be seen. Or when we go to places that are dark, that are in need of the gospel, we put our lights under a bushel. So this is what we're dealing with. Those of us who have experienced the newness of Christ, that we would be intentional about sharing that with others. So when I pass this for today, the first thing I want you to notice, I want you to notice the place. Somebody say the place. Get that down. Get that down. The place. The place. Actually, that's wrong, but we're going to leave it as is. Go on, say placement. Say placement. I know how to adjust. Somebody say placement. Yeah, I messed that up. That's all good. John, John. The writer wrote in sequential order. If you notice, if you start in verse 19, he is communicating the order in which things took place. And so he presents the activity of Christ in a timeline, in a continuum. And so in doing, he reveals the will of the Father as manifested through the earthly engagement of the Son. Y'all stay with me here. We're talking about placement. Because the text opens up on the what? The third day. Now understand what that means. It doesn't necessarily mean day three because we find in verses 19 through 28, that's actually day one of this narrative. That's what John the Baptist gave his veiled witness to Jesus Christ. And then the text says the second day or the next day. 
that's when he began to witness to the person of Jesus Christ where he declared, there is the Lamb of God. Y'all with me so far? We're talking about the placement in our text. But then the third day is when John's two disciples follow Jesus Christ. I'm still in John chapter 1, and that's verses 35 through 42. Then it goes on and says, and the fourth day, Philip and Nathaniel meet Jesus. Y'all are with me so far? And so we have in our text, we have the third day after the fourth day, which is actually the seventh day. Oh, I feel that by myself. And, and what I discovered the writer was doing is he was presenting this, this seven symbols to help us to understand the value of completion, the value of newness. In other words, something new is about to happen. Now, I'm not allegorizing the text. I'm just dealing with what John has given us. John said on the third day. And so when you stack those days up, this is actually the seventh day. So we know something new is about to happen. And it's a joy to see how the Lord works this out in the fullness of time. Somebody say placement. But not only placement. Secondly, ah, now I'm ready. We see the place. Somebody say place. I'm still in your text. The place is Cana of Galilee. Cana was about nine miles north of Nazareth in Galilee. And, 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 and archaeologists, they have done their due diligence, but they simply cannot pinpoint exactly where this wedding took place, but we know it took place in Cana. And so what I love about this is we understand that Nathaniel was, in fact, from Cana. Look at chapter 1. So very likely Jesus was hanging around Nathaniel, and as a consequence, he got invited to the wedding. Now, if I wanted to allegorize the text, I would say it's all important to who you hang out with where you get invited. But that ain't what the text is saying. Amen. But the place is important because this is the place of the first miracle of Jesus Christ. Phenomenal things are taking place in Cana of Galilee. So we have the placement, we have the place, but then thirdly, y'all, we have the people. Somebody say people. Get that down, people. We see as, as the text opens up, it says on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee, the place. Jesus' mother was there. Ah, there's one person. Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. So we can surmise that the people in the text were, first of all, Mary. Now, understand this. John never mentions Mary by name, nor does he mention himself by name. And so we can just surmise that when he says the mother of Jesus, of course, that is Mary. The, the other were probably Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel, plus the unnamed disciple, which was John, the writer. But the beautiful thing is this. Watch this, y'all. Jesus is traveling with an entourage. He got a crew. And he is rolling with his crew up in this wedding. Now, now before you make it too holy, yes, this was a wedding where drinking was taking place. Go ahead and clutch your pearls all you need to. But the most, the most powerful thing is this, this inclusion of a passage it opens up in verses 1 and 2 talking about Jesus and the other disciples. And it closes in verse 12 talking about Jesus, his mother, his brothers, and the other disciples. And sandwiched in between is this miraculous story of converting water to wine. 
Yo, this is a powerful text. What's taking place? So as you look, as you look at the placement, as you look at the place, as you understand the people, you find all of these elements converging upon the wedding at Cana. Warren Wiersbe says, wise is the couple who invite Jesus to their wedding. Wise is the couple. See, I don't know who you invited to your wedding, but this couple had enough sense, maybe not even knowing who he was, but knowing there was something unusually special about Jesus Christ. So they made their way to the wedding, y'all, is drinking taking place. It's drinking, Brother Cliff. They was drinking up at the wedding. Now, again, before you super spiritualizes and all, this wasn't communion wine. Wasn't no wafers and crackers. My folk, they're still kind of on the verge, kind of out there. They was lit up. They was lit. It was lit. It was lit. Ain't that right, D? They was lit. That's... Did I use it right? I used it right. It was lit. I know some of y'all are just, Jesus was, 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 there is no conversion without a connection. Jesus was hanging out with these folks that are, that are getting, getting drunk. Look at verse 3, y'all. Verse 3, the A clause says, when the wine ran out. Stop right there. When the wine, when the wine, Sister Regina, the wine. We got a problem here, brother. Wine. Some of y'all flashing back too far. Stay with me. Stay with me. Wine has run out. That's disgrace for the groom. See, these weddings span several days. They weren't like your wedding. Amen. You got married at the church, went down the hall to the fellowship hall. Cut up some cake and some punch, took some pictures, and then everybody went home. No, it wasn't like that. No, this, this, this wedding where, where the groom would, would have the ceremony with his bride, and he would take his bride back to his house, and they would consummate the wedding. That was just day one. And they would come out and have some feast upon feast upon feast, but the text says the wine ran out. So we got several hundred people needed their thirst quenched. No wine literally meant no fun. Y'all come on and go with me here. Don't over-spiritualize it. This is, this is their culture. Don't, 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 don't go too far with it. This was their custom. Weddings meant wine. Notice how long I'm staying here, uh, Sister Connie. I'm, 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 I want y'all to get this wine motif so you can understand why important or uh, why it is so important to know that the wine ran out. These folks got about four more days of partying to do. Can't you imagine the first person who went to the buffet table and they tried to give him some punch? The person's like, thank you, man. What is this? Man, I know y'all got something back there. What y'all doing? It's 
See, they couldn't run across the bridge. That's a Dallas thing. Look at that. Boy, yeah. Oh, Lord, somebody leaving. I'm just playing, man. We just couldn't go across the bridge. My Dallas folk laugh. Y'all laughing way too hard, Brother Tim. Y'all laughing too hard. I got a hand in the back. Preach, Pastor. Tell them about that bridge. Y'all couldn't, couldn't press grapes fast enough. Couldn't allow those grapes and the juice to age fast enough. There was just not enough time, not enough resources. Y'all, this is the situation. Get that down. This is the situation. And it's, it's, it's a dire situation. And then in steps Jesus' mother. Verse 3, when the wine ran out, Jesus' mother, who is Mary, told him, who is Jesus, they don't have any wine. Hmm. Now, before I read too much into this text, there is an influence that mothers have that ain't nobody else got. I got a witness right there. There's something when your mom says something to you. You understand all of the inferences. You understand all of the nuances. And look how Jesus responds in verse 4. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Now, before you think he's being disrespectful, this was, this was actually a term that was not disrespectful in this culture. See, once again, we're reading our culture into this culture. See, some of y'all are getting mad if I say woman to you. But in this context, it was not an insult. He says, what does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Key phrase, my hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you. His mother told the servant. Somebody say, we have a situation. Secondly, we have an intervention. Get that down. We have an intervention. We have an intervention. Mothers, mothers to son, mothers to son. See, obviously, Mary had some close connection to this wedding party. This is information we're not privy to, but we can surmise. So because, because her, her concern was so heightened, so she does what we would do knowing who Jesus is. Oh, y'all got to understand that. And so her intervention had very good intentions. But Jesus had a different response. Verse 4, what does that have to do with you and me, woman? My hour has not yet come. With the intervention, the first clause under that is we see a gentle rebuke. Get that down, a gentle, a gentle rebuke. Jesus is communicating with, with Mary that his hour has not yet come. This is a theme that we would see throughout Scripture as Lord Jesus was preparing for his, his life of ministry and for giving his life for humanity. That's the hour that he is communicating. And so Jesus is saying, Mom, this, this is a legitimate concern, but it's not my main concern. See, this is something, again, it's, 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 it's not beyond his concern, but it is beyond his desire to fix. But again, y'all, there's something about a mother to a son. What do, what do I have to do with this, mom? He's explaining to her that he's going to handle the situation, but very likely not in the manner that she had desired. So the issue here we're dealing with is timing. Let me, let me move on. Somebody say timing. Come on, say timing. 
I've talked to you many times about the providence of God, how, how the providence of God is God orchestrating situations, people, and circumstances to perform and enact his will. Jesus was on a divine schedule, a heavenly timetable. He says, my hour has not yet come. So what does that mean for you and for me? When it comes to destiny, timing is everything. When we are in constant communion and fellowship with the Father, we know what to do and when to do it. And so oftentimes, many of us are misplaced. We are We're out of position. Why? Because we're not in constant communion with the Father. We don't know what he wants from us because we've not spent any time with him. Somebody say timing. Y'all know I played a little ball back in the day, a little football. You're laughing way too hard. But at any rate, the point is this. I discover in football there's a thing called the timing pattern. In football, the timing pattern is where the quarterback he, he, he throws the ball, watch this, not to a person, but to a place. Are y'all feeling this? It's, it's a timing pattern. So it's the quarterback's responsibility to get to that place because once he gets to the place, watch this, the, the ball is already in the air. So let me demonstrate. The quarterback drops back. He looks off the defenders that way. And then he just throws the ball that way. And the receiver has a responsibility of getting to that place. And when he gets to the place, oh, God, the ball is going to be there waiting on him. Y'all, that's what timing and destiny is all about. God is moving circumstances in your life so that you will get to the place so that you can catch the ball. And I don't know who I'm talking, talking to, but, but my concern is when we deal with this topic of you only live forever, so many of us are simply out of position. But not Jesus. Jesus, wait, 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 wait. My, my hour is not, the timing is not, is not right. We have a gentle rebuke. But then we have a submissive response, a submissive response. Mary doesn't argue with him. She doesn't debate with him. She's a mature mother. That's a word. She doesn't nag. Oh, God. Somebody say, uh-oh. She doesn't whine. She don't leave subtle hints. Well, I'm just trying to let you know what's going on. You ain't got to call me no woman. I know you're omniscient, but maybe you didn't know they out of wine. I don't know. But the point is, she offers a submissive response. Look at what she, look at what she says. And notice who she says it to. She stopped talking to Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, God. Ain't nothing else to be said to Jesus. Jesus has made his position very clear. Do whatever he tells you. His mother told the servants. See, this is a submissive response. Do whatever he tells you. Now, on the flip side, we see the mother of Jesus trusting in Jesus' compassion despite her clear understanding of his gentle rebuke. She understands that, listen... 
My son is compassionate. I know him. I know he's going to do something. I don't know what he's going to do. But servants, whatever he tells you to do, you best do it. She directed them to focus upon him. Oh, God. Somebody say focus on Jesus. See, we're in, we're in a precarious situation. It looks like all hope is gone. So the only thing for us to do is to focus upon Jesus. When you find your back through the wall, when you find situations beyond your control that you simply cannot fix, your response is to focus upon Jesus. See, I'm convinced that many of us haven't gotten our miracles because we're focused on the wrong stuff. We're looking at the absence of wine. We're, we're looking at the fact that we got three or four days left. We're looking at the fact that there is no way to buy any more wine when we should be focused upon the presence of Christ. What is it you're focusing on today? Are you focused in on the problems of your life or are you focused in on the problem solver? We have an intervention, a gentle rebuke, a submissive response. Finally, we have a revelation. We have a revelation. Look at verses 6. Now six stones, now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Somebody say to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. Parenthetically, I got you know, to pause. There was so much debate as to where... He said, draw the water from. This is what theologians do. So some were suggesting since it was a purification pots, they surely couldn't use those for drinking. But you got to understand something, y'all. When the Lord does a miracle, he can fix everything. So they were trying to suggest that he said, draw. When he meant draw, he may go back to the well. No, he said, fill them to the rim. And the inference that we can surmise, which is fair, is when he say draw some out, draw some out of the pots I just told you to fill. I know those aren't drinking pots, but do what I told you to do anyhow. God, I wish we could just obey the Lord when he tells us to do stuff. Stop trying to figure out what he really meant. Just do what the text says. Oh, that, that was for free, y'all. Verse 9, when the head waiter, when the head waiter tasted the wine after it had become wine, Tasted the water after it had become wine. He did not know where it came from. He didn't need to know. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, oh. He called the groom and told him, everyone sets out the, the fine wine first. Then, after people are drunk, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. Stop right there. Somebody say a revelation. There's a revelation. Water. Water to wine. But I want, you to, I want you to back up because for so long, y'all, I've, I've, I've kind of uh, misunderstood the passage as, as a young man of faith. See, I knew this was Jesus' first miracle. But I overlooked the fact, watch this, that this was not an exposed miracle. Ah, you know why? Because his hour had not yet come. 
this was not a wide known miracle. As a matter of fact, the only people knew about the miracle was his mother, the servants, and his disciples. The brother who tasted the wine had no clue of where it came from. See, that's the sovereignty of God. He can perform a miracle, and the only one who knows are the ones who need to know. I'm trying to close, y'all. I'm trying to close. I'm trying to close. So it was a public wedding, but it was a private miracle. Oh, God. That was a situation that required a revelation. Jesus fulfilled the need without compromising his timing. Hmm, That's how Jesus made everybody happy. Now, if I could just play with y'all for just a little bit, just laugh a little bit. The brother said, now, this is what I'm accustomed to. He's like, I go to a lot of weddings. 